0: Welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 102. And as always, you are joined by your hosts Tiara and Jack. Now, before we get into today's episode, we just want to remind you, as always, that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please feel free to tell your family and friends about them. Take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories. If you are listening on the iTunes podcast app, we would also greatly appreciate if you could please leave us a rating and potentially write us a review. And if you are interested in getting in touch with us regarding our coaching services, you can always head over to our website by Googling The Bodybuilding Dietitians or just searching www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com, which is a link you can find in the show notes below or any of our Instagram bios. And like we always say, we don't just coach physique athletes, we coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. So jumping into the questions for today, this very first one says, Is it true that you can only absorb a certain amount of protein at once?
1: So I think it's important to kind of identify what this might mean. So what does it, what do you mean by absorb? Like Mm -hmm. not you specifically, the question asker. Like, does it mean, is it useless? Does it get converted to something else? Do you just poo it out? Mm -hmm. What does absorb mean? So. There are various functions of protein within the body. It's not just for bodybuilders wanting to get big. Mm -hmm. It has a number of other very important roles. For example, all of our enzymes are proteins, a lot of carrier molecules are proteins as well, Mm -hmm. uh, signaling proteins, whatever it may be. So just remember that protein has a role other than recovering and building muscle.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's an integral component, you know, of your hair, your skin, your nails. It's an essential component of your blood. Like, you know, the smooth muscle in your intestines, the cardiac muscle in your heart, right? Absolutely everything. So we certainly need protein for more than just building bicep peaks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So I guess on that note, the reason why people might say, oh, you're not, if you have like 50 grams of protein in one meal, you're not going to use all of it. It might come down to spiking something called muscle protein synthesis, which kind of says what it means. It's the synthesis of new muscle proteins. So that's really important, obviously, for recovery and building new muscle tissue. And basically, there's a certain amount of protein that we need to initiate that and a certain amount of leucine as well. Mm -hmm.
0: So leucine is the primary amino acid found in protein right that is responsible for stimulating muscle protein synthesis by activating mTOR so i think that the confusion with you know how people say oh you can only absorb a certain amount of protein at once they're confusing that with you only require a certain amount of protein to maximally synthesize muscle protein synthesis and any amount of protein beyond that again those amino acids are going to be used for something else in the body, mm. right? So the actual amount of protein that you can absorb and from a digestion standpoint, we're actually talking about the passage of nutrients, right? And amino acids from your small intestine into your hepatic portal vein, into your cardiovascular system, right? To be delivered to your muscles. And obviously it's gonna go past the liver there, but you know, the pretty much the amount of protein that you can actually absorb it's unlimited, mm. right? So if, if you eat you know, a bunch of steak, if you eat a massive amount of steak or something, hell yeah, you're going to absorb all the protein from that steak, believe it or not. Isn't the body remarkable, right? It's not like, oh, no, reached my limit, 20 grams, right? Poop the rest out. So no, it's all going into you.
1: <laughs> I guess we, there probably is a limit. Like if you if you ate protein continuously, you wouldn't absorb all of it. But <laughs> in, for a normal person eating normally, let's say 400 grams of protein a day you're probably going to absorb all of that
0: absolutely but
1: it's also about do we need that much and what is the rest of it actually doing so Mm. of course we are going to use that certain amount for our recovery and growing new muscle tissue but there's also something called the amino acid pool which again pretty self-explanatory it's a pool of amino acids within the body.
0: Now I've loved this term because you know we've been using it ever since we've been at university right and they've always referred to this this amino acid pool not sure about you but like it sounds like a dream to me right like a pool full of protein count me in i'm bomb diving into that thing i wonder what flavor it is <laughs> no but the amino acid pool i like it's pretty much just the amount of free amino acids within your body right unfortunately we don't actually have a protein pool per se mm,
1: it's not like a little <laughs> compartment that we have that <laughs> is like the the gallbladder where all of your spare tryptophan is in there
0: oh my gosh that hilarious but yeah pretty much it's just the free-floating amino acids within your whole body and i guess biologists right biochemists they just refer to this as the amino acid pool right it's quite vague <laughs> mm.
1: but i guess what this is might come a, as a big surprise to some of you and it really goes against the old school bro bodybuilding kind of bro culture in that those guys used to have a lot of protein and instead of increasing carbs, they would often just increase protein and have more of it because like, they, I don't know, carbs are the devil or whatever. Mm -hmm. But basically a lot of your excess protein, let's say if you're having four or 500 grams a day, it's just gonna be converted to glucose through something called gluconeogenesis where amino acids are basically converted through a process into glucose. And so basically when, when your bro is having an extra protein they're gonna it's gonna be redirected to carbohydrates anyway or glucose is just very indirect
0: Exactly. So the body certainly has to go to a great extent to convert amino acids and protein into glucose, but it certainly is capable of doing so. But I think that's why protein has the highest thermic effect of food as well. Because if you are eating a lot of protein, right around one third of the calories in that protein and protein is around four calories per gram around one third of that is actually going to be used just in the process of absorbing and metabolizing and digesting and breaking down that protein to actually be used for a function but absolutely if you are let's say that you're on a low carb diet but gosh knows you're eating five grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day you're basically just eating really expensive rice Mm.
1: (laughs) and that's why total energy intake is is most important and like if it was that easy, if we could eat 4,000 calories worth of protein a day and lose weight, uh, a lot more people would be have successful dieting periods, or should I say successful periods after dieting as well. And the other thing about protein is that it can't be directly converted to fat either. So it has to be converted to glucose first before then lipogenesis occurs and it's converted to fatty acids.
0: Yeah, so I guess your amino acids would first have to go through gluconeogenesis and then they would have to go through de novo lipogenesis, Mm. right? So hell yeah, you're definitely giving your liver uh, a bit of a job there, right? You know, like, hey, get to work, man. I've just eaten a big ass steak. But I guess to answer the question, right? So one, first off, whatever protein you eat, you're pretty much fully capable of absorbing all of that, of course. If you go to extremes, man, yeah, you might put your pancreas under some stress in terms of digestive enzymes, but again, you would have to go to significant lengths to get to Mm. that point. So yes, you're going to- We don't
1: mean harmful stress either. It just means the pancreas has more work to do.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: If you view it like that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Again, organ, get to work. (laughs) But yes, you're going to absorb all of it but essentially you only need a certain amount of protein to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So the recommendations are to consume between 0.4 to 0.55 grams per kilogram of body weight of protein from a HBV source. So that's a high biological value protein source, which essentially means an animal source, right? Per meal. Now, the reason for those numbers is that it pretty much specifically relates to the amino acid leucine, right? And to maxly stimulate muscle protein synthesis, you need to consume around 2.5 grams of leucine in each meal to maxly stimulate MPS. And you're pretty much going to get around two and a half grams of leucine if you are hitting between that 0.4 to 0.55 grams per kilogram of body weight of protein per meal, which for, you know, depending obviously on your body weight it's probably going to be anywhere between eh, 20 to 40 grams of protein per se on average. Obviously, if you're like a 100 kilogram dude, right? 0.55 grams per kilogram of body weight, that's 55 grams of protein. But at the same time, for most animal sources, right? As long as you're around that 25 gram mark of protein, you're going to be getting around two grams of leucine or so.
1: Yeah. And there wasn't a study that i remember looking at at uni which is when we were first introduced to this concept and they basically said 20 grams of animal protein was the threshold Mm -hmm. but it just it does really i prefer the range that you gave just because it does depend on your body weight especially they might have been looking at female runners who might be like 40 to 50 kilos but bodybuilders are obviously going to be A bit heavier than that exactly
0: and when we're talking about stimulating muscle protein synthesis right you have to take into account the amount of skeletal muscle on that person Mm. so exactly if you're comparing a 45 kilogram female runner right to a 100 kilogram enhanced bodybuilder okay they're probably both going to require a little bit like (laughs) less or more leucine to maxly stimulate their muscles to grow i would say
1: Mm. And that's, I guess, to address another part quickly, some people, when they miss a meal, they are concerned about combining both serves of protein together. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, your total daily protein intake is still important. We do like to space it out or recommend that you space it out because for that spike in muscle protein synthesis, so throughout the day, so it's even, it's not like you just get one big spike or one spike and then it has a chance to kind of flatline for the rest of the day. It's mm-hmm. beneficial to have three to five serves of protein throughout the day to keep it elevated. So if you do miss out on protein for one meal, you can still have it at the next meal. Yeah. It's not an issue.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So of course, like total energy intake and total amount of macronutrients across the day, that's always gonna be king. But then obviously if we're truly trying to optimize things then yeah evenly distribute it right evenly distribute your protein so you're maximizing muscle protein synthesis evenly distribute your carbohydrates right so that you're sustaining your energy levels throughout the day and helping with glycogen Mm. resynthesis evenly distribute your fatty acid intake so you can absorb fat soluble vitamins and stay satiated after Mm. each meal And I know that we're only really talking about one particular amino acid here, which is leucine, right? But of course you do need to take into account all of the essential amino acids, right? There's like nine essential amino acids which cannot be synthesized in the body, or at least not to the extent that we require them to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. The other 11 amino acids you can synthesize in the body. So to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis, one, you need to reach that threshold of leucine, around 2.5 grams of leucine per meal, right? Spreading those meals between three to six per day, depending on your preference. But then you also need those essential amino acids too, which again, you are going to get all of those essential amino acids by consuming animal sources of protein or just combining different plant sources of protein. But at the same time with that, it's a little bit mixed because with those essential amino acids, it doesn't seem like that it's as necessary to consume those at each meal per se, they've done this with some vegan studies where as long as you're consuming a sufficient amount of essential amino acids throughout the day, and then you're also consuming leucine boluses throughout the day, that pretty much seems to stimulate muscle protein synthesis to the same extent. And when I actually am working with a vegan client, right, I actually generally recommend a leucine supplement so that they can actually supplement with leucine at all of their main meals because unfortunately plants like they have a little bit of leucine in them but not nearly to the same extent like you would need somewhere around 50 grams of protein from soy in order to get the same amount of leucine that you would get from like 20 grams of whey Mm. right so it's significantly more protein so if you're a vegan athlete out there it might really be worthwhile to actually supplement with leucine at each of your main meals.
1: Even an essential amino acid supplement in general as well.
0: Yeah, you could definitely do that too.
1: Cool. Mm. Well, um, we also have a couple of other related questions, which I think would be really interesting on this note. So the first one being, it's kind of like a two-part question. How important is the distribution of dietary fat throughout the day? And how important is the number of meals per day? So like one, three, six, etc.? So I think that would be interesting to dive into those.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what if we did the second one first, right? So we actually talked about the amount of meals that you should be eating per day, Mm. right? So obviously it is going to come down to your preference. It is going to come down to your schedule. But based off what we just said, right, if you do want to maxly stimulate muscle protein synthesis throughout the day, You want to stay well-satiated, stay well-energized, right? It probably is in your best interest to have a minimum of three meals throughout the day, right?
1: Or even, like, when we say meals, it could just be a consumption of food. Mm Because, like, there's no definition as to, okay, is a meal 800 calories, is a snack 50 calories? No, it's just going to be, you can still have a bolus of protein, a protein shake, and that would still spike muscle protein synthesis. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, certainly.
1: So... Let's, I think like preferences, dietary preferences, or just social preferences is really important with the number of meals, but I always say at least consider your total protein intake and spacing that out three to five times throughout the day. So automatically, as you said, that's three meals or three periods of eating. And then obviously depending on how much you're eating of the other nutrients. Like if you're having 500 grams of carbs per day, you're, you're not going to be having that in one meal mm-hmm. and you need to think about how you're spreading that out for training performance as well and consuming all your vegetables and fruits and whole grains as well. So there's a lot of things to keep in mind and I very rarely, I don't think I've ever recommended having one meal a day.
0: No, me neither.
1: And I also don't think it's that necessary or it's not very efficient to have like six meals a day either. Mm-hmm. I think that's in the past now, unless it you actually enjoy it and you enjoy spacing out your meals, having smaller, medium-sized meals six times a day. Mm. For me, it's, it's a lot of work in the kitchen. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Unless, you know, again, like going back to what you said, it might not necessarily be a meal, it might just be a period of eating. So for example, someone might eat six times per day, but they're having three main meals and then mm. they're having like, a banana before their workout, you know, yeah. or they're having a little bit of yogurt before they fall asleep or something like mm. that, right? So six periods of eating throughout the day, perhaps.
1: Yeah. And I think it makes, it might make a lot more sense now for the listeners that we've broken it down fairly objectively. Like, okay, here's protein, carbs, and fats, protein three to five times, carbohydrates, mainly around the training window. If you have a limitation on carbs, like if you're on a hundred grams of carbs, you wouldn't have them all at the last meal Mm -hmm. you would have them mainly pre and post workout Mm -hmm. and then fats i guess that leads fats is to be honest the more questionable sort of macronutrient here it's not as set in stone as protein or or carbohydrates, really?
0: Yeah, well, fats obviously assist with the absorption of fat-soluble vitamins. So generally, the recommendation that I give is that whenever you're having a meal that's particularly high in vegetable content, even fruit content, right? So a meal that has a high amount of vegetables with lots of color, a lot of those vegetables have fat-soluble nutrients in them. So for example, if you're having carrots that has beta-carotene in it, right? Which is a derivative of vitamin A. Or if you're having a bunch of kale and spinach that has some vitamin K in it, vitamin A and vitamin K are both fat soluble vitamins. So ensuring that you are having five to 10 grams minimum of fat within that meal is going to help with the absorption of those nutrients. So that's one argument for distributing your fats throughout the day, Mm -hmm. pretty much whenever you're having vegetable content. So you can really take advantage of that nutritionally. But the second one is just satiation. Like fats really help to satiate you, right? They slow down gastric emptying. They slow down absorption, right? They help to sustain your blood glucose levels. So I think that evenly distributing fats throughout the day for the average person is pretty strategic, Mm. right? Unless, you know, you are having maybe a pre-workout snack or something. Like you're just having a banana. Like, yeah, it's not necessary to have a bunch of peanut butter with that.
1: Like I've, one thing that's changed about my comp prep is I've purposely kept my fat higher at 60 grams. Usually I would have dropped it by now to 50, but like I've really noticed the satiation effect of of the fat. Mm. And also there are some considerations that some people are probably thinking right now in terms of, oh, don't have too much fat in your (laughs) post-workout. We just have to be realistic as to what extent that would really interfere with anything. Sure, it might slow things down slightly, but you're going to be training. Most people train every 24 hours, so it's exactly. not like you're training a couple of hours later. And yeah, it's uh, it's kind of paralysis by analysis. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like it's going to slow down gastric emptying, but only in your favor. By no means is it going to slow it down to the extent where like you can't spike muscle protein synthesis within a decent time. And again, remember, guys. The hours right for pre and post workout is like four to six hours. That is plenty of time for your Mm -hmm. body to consume some food and absorb it and for those nutrients to do their thing. Yeah.
1: So for example, like putting some of what Tierra said into practice, if you are someone who finds that you get hungry quite quickly on in your workout, then adding a bit more fat into your pre-workout meal would help Mm -hmm. because it slows down gastric emptying, makes you feel more satiated would we really advise having like 90% of your fat in one meal? No, probably not (laughs) because like, sure. Maybe once in a blue moon or once a week, let's say if you want to, if you track macros and you're like, okay, I want to go out and have a pizza for dinner. Obviously that's going to use a lot of your fat. And in that case, like I would just go by calories or just enjoy the pizza regardless. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't try and really track that, but hopefully what we've said kind of, uh, makes makes it a bit more practical.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, so really, just basically. Aim for just even distribution, right? And just really try to prioritize that fat around vegetable content. And again, with like a post-workout meal, remember, like, food's gonna take some time to digest regardless, so don't freak out if your post-workout meal has a few grams of fiber, or a few grams of fat, or something, right? Like, people still tend to go toward those sports nutrition guidelines of like, oh, I've gotta have a WPI shake mm. because it's fast-digesting protein, and I can only have people white- People
1: like extremes. Yeah, like white rice
0: or something. Right. And like, oh gosh, if I had WPC instead of WPI, that's going to be medium digesting. And then my muscles won't be stimulated. Right. It won't get into me quick enough. It's like slow down. (laughs) It doesn't really work like that. So it's all good. Right. So certainly you can have mixed meals. I think the only time when that really applies is when you need those high GI glycemic carbohydrates. Right. And I guess you could say fast digesting protein mm. right is really if you are in the case of where you're training multiple times per day and particularly if you're trying to resynthesize glycogen at a maximal rate like like let's say you know that you're a triathlete right and you're going for a run in the morning and then you've got a bike and a swim in the afternoon or something like that and you've only got a few hours between training sessions you need to get on top of actually consuming more high GI glycemic carbohydrates so that you can get those into your bloodstream sooner. Right. And you can synthesize glycogen at a greater rate because you're going to be doing another huge bout of exercise very soon too. Mm. And then consuming more fast digesting protein sources, one, so that you're not feeling overly satiated and overly full. But yes, so that you can stimulate muscle protein synthesis as well and start the recovery process, right? But if you are an average gym goer, right? And you're training once a day, five times per week, right? Like you've got that good 24 plus hours between training sessions, man, like these things just do not apply to you because across that 24 hours, it all balances out. Mm.
1: The only thing that I would say is most applicable is if you do feel overly satiated or under satiated in the early parts of your session that's where fat might be quite useful to play around with like Mm -hmm. a lot of guys for example because they consume a lot of food they some of it might come up in the early part of their session or even the later part so having less fat in that pre-workout meal might be better for you
0: even if, you know, carbohydrates were really high, right. And carbohydrate demands were high, then you could always consider something like an intra workout shake, right? Or if you needed something that was low on the satiation level, but would just pretty much give you some protein, give you some carbs, pretty much give you some calories, having something like a WPI shake with a dextrose serving, something like that, right? Something very easy, but Obviously, just using these things strategically depending on where you are in your journey and how you're feeling and what your energy demands are.
1: Totally, yeah. It's all about putting personalized nutrition into practice.
0: Mm -hmm. And something as well is that you need to consider whether or not you're at maintenance, whether or not you're in a surplus, or whether or not you're in a deficit because. Certainly when you are in a deficit, we know that when energy intake is restricted, that automatically suppresses muscle protein synthesis. So that puts an even greater importance on why you should be evenly distributing your protein throughout the day, minimum of three protein boluses throughout the day. But I would say it's probably optimal to go for at least four in my opinion. So evenly distributing that HBV protein throughout the day, right? To stimulate muscle protein synthesis, get enough leucine into you when you're dieting, because man, like when you're dieting, you're trying your absolute best to hold on and retain as much skeletal muscle mass as possible, right? And you're training so hard in the gym, like it would be silly for it to come down to the fact that like, oh man, if you would have just had one more protein bolus every single day for the past six months, you might've retained a little bit more muscle right? So certainly take into account whether or not you're dieting too.
1: Yeah. And I guess Corona nutrition is something to to mention too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, When we're talking about you know actually how many meals that you should have per day we should talk about the quantities within each of these meals and i would highly recommend actually reading this article written by danny lennon he's the podcast host of sigma nutrition radio but he wrote this awesome article on chrononutrition on the stronger by science website and it's really neat because pretty much with chrononutrition it talks about how our body has biological clocks, right? And different organs, different cells, pretty much our body will respond to nutrient intake at different points of the day. And really it does go to show that it probably is more optimal to front load more of your calories rather than back load your calories. And you and I have been practicing this for years, right? We generally have a very energy dense carbohydrate rich breakfast and lunch. And then as it goes throughout the day, our carbohydrate intake tends to kind of dwindle off right and our dinner particularly is quite low in carbohydrates we pretty much just eat meat and vegetables and have a fat source there so chrononutrition really it does show that our body is a hell of a lot more sensitive to glucose uptake we're a lot more insulin sensitive in the earlier portions of the day compared to the later portions and also if you front load more of your calories it's more likely to lead to increased energy output during the day because you just have higher levels of meat.
1: Hmm. But
0: unfortunately, I think a lot of people do get into that pattern of, you know, sometimes they skip breakfast, they'll have a tiny lunch, right? might have like a snack in the afternoon and then they're just ravenous at night and they eat so much food at night but then behaviorally we think about you know nighttime right it's dark outside even though you've just eaten a big meal right and even if technically you had energy it's dark and behaviorally you're probably more likely to like take a shower and then lay down on the couch and watch the netflix or read or go on your phone or something right but if you strategically front-loaded more of those calories even if you keep energy intake the exact same throughout the day right it's actually a lot more likely to lead to increased energy output throughout the day mm. better training that's a common performance question
1: that a lot of people ask and that i've seen on social media in general does it matter when i consume my calories like does it matter if i have half my calories in the meal before bed for weight loss and A lot of people say it doesn't matter. Even other dietitians say it doesn't matter. But I guess we're more on the side of the fence saying it it actually kind of does matter when you consume it. It does. Not just for fat loss, but also sleep quality as well. So Mm -hmm. if you're having, I always recommend my clients to have their last meal around two hours prior to bed. And like not everyone can sleep well on a full stomach and it's just another way of of interpreting chrononutrition as well Mm -hmm. i also think trying to consume all your meals within 12 hours of each other is also a good idea so if you go to bed at 9 p.m that means having your dinner by 7 p.m means having your breakfast at around 7 a.m so most a lot of people will be doing that regardless but if you look at someone's lifestyle and you look at their results and you see okay they're staying up till 12 a.m. They're having their last, they're snacking all the way up until till 12 a.m. They get up at 5 a.m. for work and you kind of, everything starts to make sense when you break it down like that.
0: Yeah, it really does, right? And when you, if you're eating right before bed, especially if you are eating a copious amount of calories, that really interferes with your blood glucose level control during night, which is usually what impacts your sleep. Right? So certainly trying to front load more of your calories because you're just going to be able to utilize a lot more of that glucose and just have better energy levels throughout the day, have better training performance, particularly for training performance. It's really neat because they actually did this study on cyclists where they had them consume a certain amount of calories and carbohydrates during the day. And they all did a competitive like cycling trial at nighttime but one group consumed a large portion of their calories at breakfast time, and then some at lunchtime, and then they did the cycling trial at night. The other group, they had a small amount of carbohydrates at breakfast, a much larger amount at lunchtime, and then they did the cycling trial at night. Even though calories were matched, even though carbohydrates were matched, the group that actually had a larger carbohydrate breakfast outperformed the group that had a larger carbohydrate lunch because they actually had extra hours during the day where they were able to synthesize and store more glycogen, which I think is so neat right? So that even goes back to the pre-workout nutrition, right? And even, yeah, if carbohydrates are restricted, let's say that you're training in the afternoon, it might actually be more, more worthwhile to actually have a large carbohydrate breakfast, right? A medium carbohydrate lunch, train in the afternoon, and then have slightly less carbs and particularly just a protein source following your workout that might actually help it's exactly your... what i do yeah exactly what i do too hey sports dietitians bruh. <laughs> but that might be more strategic but yeah chrononutrition is really really neat and we are certainly big advocates for front-loading calories rather than back-loading calories of course there's always going to be exceptions right it always well, depends Yeah, for
1: example like some people don't have a choice if you're eating i guess i always relate it to this scenario because i'm in it in the off season, but if you're having 5,000 calories a day, every meal is going to be like that's just under 150 carbs mm-hmm. for each meal. For yeah. Four meals a day. So,
0: of course. So, it's always going to be relative to total energy intake. And of course, that's an extreme right but we've certainly both worked with people who they almost deliberately restrict calories during the day so that they can have a really large meal at night and then it does make sense because then they are like but i'm just not hungry in the morning but i'm like but that's because you're in the routine of having a humongous mm. meal at night if we start like we start to ease out of that and start distributing more of those calories at lunch and breakfast and not having such a large meal at nighttime, <laughs> try going- fasting
1: during the night and i'm sure you'll be hungry yeah, when dude, you wake you're, up you're
0: <laughs> (laughs) wake up with an appetite right and it's just gonna make your quality of life so much better yeah yeah
1: well the other reason is people don't hydrate adequately in the morning so like make sure you hydrate with at least like 500 mils of water when you wake up Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you'll feel better as well
0: wake up get hydrated and stay hydrated stay tuned for an upcoming tbd post on hydration by the way
1: yes it, it will probably be, if you're listening to this then it might even be out it yes. probably will be
0: yeah they should come out at very similar times absolutely well guys you know that was pretty much us talking about protein and meal timing for just over half an hour so hope you enjoyed it but yeah please do look into Nutrition. i can even put in the link below to that article written by danny lennon on the stronger by science website just highly recommend reading it's just incredibly interesting right and it really does go to show that meal timing it does matter and it really can play a difference right Mm. and if you guys are trying to take this super seriously and optimize things right and really get the best out of your training and your nutrition and body composition endeavors right like man sometimes these one percenters they add up
1: yeah totally and it's very easy to fit into your lifestyle like the initial change is always hard and it's always a bit uncomfortable But it's all about forming habits and getting used to something. So Mm. don't be put off by the initial change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you need any help, you know, making that change, feel free to reach out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Great. So we will wrap this up with one thing that we learned this week. So Jack, what did you learn this week?
1: So I learned that surprise, surprise, not all dogs are the same.
0: What the heck? You and I are going to say the exact same thing. Wow. Oh my gosh. Read each other's minds, but keep going.
1: (laughs) Well, basically, as many of you know, we, we got a new puppy on the weekend and he's just a really chilled out guy. His name's Boston. He's a Border Collie and very different to Sam when she was a puppy. He's just, when you go up to him, he just rolls onto his back expecting a, a rub. And he's very quiet at night. He only cries occasionally. So, yeah.
0: But yeah, he doesn't cry at all at night. It's, mm. ama- it's amazing, right?
1: Yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, not all puppies are absolute maniacs, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's like he's literally a dream puppy, honestly. We've had him, what, for three nights now, right? And he hasn't cried once. And he's getting along so well with Sam. Sam mm. is his older sister. They both share the same dad. And they're already just best friends,
1: yeah. yeah, Sam. Sam really likes him. Yeah, I think she's going to be very protective of him in the park.
0: Absolutely. Oh, we uh, we really hit the jackpot with that little fur ball. Really, yeah. he's just like a mobile teddy bear. He's so adorable. Gosh, he. Uh, I love him so much. He's just he's just sleeping out on the deck right now. Honestly, yeah, he
1: hasn't <laughs> featured in this episode.
0: No, he has not. He's um he's snoozing, dreaming about I don't know fetching his future sticks in the park. <laughs>
1: cool well thank you everyone for listening if you enjoyed this episode please feel free to repost it onto your instagram stories tag myself tag tiara tag tbd if you're feeling generous please leave us a rating and we'll catch you guys next week
0: see you guys